welcome to the Human Things Podcast. I'm Jay Watts. This is Merely Human Ministries Podcast. And we're going to be talking about dying a little bit. Uh, not dying a little bit as like a quantitative a little bit of dying, but we're going to have a conversation about the end of life. Uh, last last episode, in most episodes, you know, we'll be talking about the value of human life. And oftentimes there will be some element talking about abortion. And uh, But today what I wanted to talk about was uh, more about how life comes to an end sometimes and how when we lose concepts of human dignity, when we lose the idea that we matter by virtue of what we are, when we lose sight of the idea that the most important thing in every day of our life is the human being in front of us. All of the human beings that we interact with on a daily basis in this world, that's hard to see because that's not the ethic and that's not the way that we look at the world. And that's not the worldview that we have the, the importance of other human beings, but from the Christian worldview, whether the image bearers of God, these beings will endure long after the things that we see today that we think are important are gone. Uh, and, and if anybody has ever been through something terrible, most of us have, most of us have been through something terrible every single time. I don't have a family where we're very close in the sense that I talk to my sisters all of the time or I talk to my mom all the time. It just wasn't the way we grew up. But I will say this, every time something terrible or something natural like the death of a relative happens, they're the ones that are there. Those people are there. And, and it reminds us of, of what's most important in the world. You know, all of us know that. When, when something awful happens, our world is reduced to the people around us that are there to help us get through it. And we're never as clear about the importance of community than we are when we're too weak to carry on without it. And we know then how much we need it. And so today is going to be talking about when we start to lose sight of the dignity of other human beings what the kind of things that can happen to us and a little bit also just talking about despairing of life. I'm going to have a guest later on joining us, Jonathan Noyes from STR. He's going to be in the first, it's a segment I call three things. So when I have guests come in, that are subject matter experts like Jonathan. And I'll, I'll, I'll have them come in. I've said to Jonathan, when I invited them here, you have the, uh, the opportunity to come on the podcast and tell the audience the three things that you think are most important when discussing the issue of suicide. So three things is going to be a, a, a recurring uh, part of the show. I'm going to have people come in. I've already got other guests lined up for other shows where they'll come in and they will tell us the three things that are most important about the area where they work and we'll interact with them on those issues. So today it'll be Jonathan Noyes talking to us about suicide. He's done a lot of work. He's spoken a lot on this issue, a lot of research. It's a very important issue to him, and it's a very important issue to me. I'll tell you how it became important to me. I was speaking one time about abortion at a school. I believe this one was in Indiana. And after it was over, some high schoolers were waiting to talk to me. This usually happens. The, the school would let them, let the students talk to me for as long as they wanted after I did Q&A. And so I'd have a smaller group of people there that wanted to interact on specific questions. And they pressed me. They said, you talk about the value of human life. Why aren't you talking about suicide? I said, well... Today, I was invited by the school and to talk about the issue of abortion, but I got to tell you, I don't know as much about suicide. It's not something that I study. Is it something that's impacting your school right now? Is this something that you at your age are dealing with? 
And when they told me yes, it was heartbreak as they, as they started to share with me the things that, that they were experiencing as young people, the suicide that they were seeing happening around them, not just in their community, but around them in the greater community. They were becoming, and that's one of the, the, the bad things about social media. Like the good things in social media bring good into our life. The bad things is it brings a lot of bad. And you're able to see what's going on around. So it wasn't just the immediacy of the suicides that they were experiencing in their own world. It was the knowledge of other suicides that were happening in the world around them. And so they said, yes, we're wrestling with this. We need help with this. So to start this off, though, I would like to play um, a poem uh, by Dylan Thomas, Do Not Go Gentle. And I love this poem. I played this before I gave a talk on physician-assisted suicide in D.C. a couple of years ago. So let's go ahead and play that. gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Right, that's it. Uh, why I, I started a talk this was to a group of mostly high schoolers. I think at the time, I think somewhere around a thousand high schoolers that are talking in the DC area about physician assisted suicide. And I played that video and that poem because there's different ways to understand our commitments to life. And I thought that was a different view than what we're often hearing or seeing in a world that is 
increasingly becoming comfortable encouraging people to leave life, to check out, move on. Now, these aren't trivial matters oftentimes. People who are dealing with, with deep issues, uh, sometimes terminal illnesses, sometimes what ultimately becomes terminal depression. Uh, but, but one of the things that I would say, there was a, I had a, a health scare a year ago. And when it happened, I, was, I thought I was dying. I was not. I mean, there were, there were, the issues have been resolved, but there, have, there is still some lingering. But there was a moment or two over the course of like a week. There were two particular days where I thought I was dying. And it was interesting at that moment that I thought I was dying, what I wanted to continue to live for. It wasn't my job, although I love my job. And I love the ministry that I get to work in. I get to work in ministry, but that wasn't what I was thinking. Oh, if I just had one more chance to talk. Although there, there was an aspect of my job calling me out of any weakness and forcing me to get myself back online to be able to do what I was, I was supposed to do as a Christian in this world. But when I was laying there believing it was over or it might be getting close to being over, I just wanted the people I loved close to me. I just, I was, it was like, give me one more second with them. And, and what I regretted was not losing the opportunity to do amazing things, but what I, what I thought I was going to miss or that I might miss. As I remember, and I talked to my kids about this later as I thought it through it and said, I, I need you to know what I thought through. I didn't want, if anything happened to me, to become an impediment to you. Because we're no, I, I, one thing I have lived with my entire life is the belief that none of us are, tomorrow is promised to no man. None of us have the expectation of being here tomorrow. We shouldn't live with that expectation. We have no idea what God has for us and, and when this could all end. And so as I set my kids down and talked to them, I was like, that ended up being a health scare that ended up not being a big deal. Or it wasn't a big enough deal that meant I was going to die or that I was going to be dying anytime soon. That's all been resolved now. But I need you to know that when I was going through that, you were what was on my mind. And here were the things that I wanted for you, if that was the end. That you would never let what happened on that day or the fact that I wasn't here become an impediment on you pursuing the things that you want to pursue. Nor would I want sadness at my absence to be something that held you back. But this is going back to that idea of community. I facing death was different because I have a strong community and people that I love and people around me. And I understand that they're the most valuable thing that I interact with on a daily basis. I also understand that we live in a world that is working against that. One of the things, if you go back to the first, I think it was the very first human things podcast. I did the audio podcast. I talked about as, as COVID was hitting, I discussed this idea of, of COVID was designed to hurt. It was meant to hurt. It was the kind of thing that was going to break us. Uh, emotionally or spiritually far more than it was going to break us. We were going to survive. It wasn't going to be an end of world thing for all of humanity, but nobody was going to come through untouched by it either. And there were things that I warned about at that time that I thought, you know, it's reasonable, I think, to ask us to take a breath and a moment away from each other, but only a moment because we're built for community. And if you break our community, you'll break us because that's what God made us for. Now, they have a different theory about what we are, but we are something objectively. And if if all of the what I believe to be true is of as far as the best evidence supports the idea that we were were creations of God, the image bearers of God and built for community both with him and with the fellow image bearers is true, then this should have been an ultimately destructive thing to tear us apart the way that they did. And it was. 
all evidence is we're not, it's going to take us a long time to sort out all the emotional and spiritual damage that was done on human beings during the point of COVID where they just broke us apart and forced us away from each other and then put all these different, and I, and I said from the beginning, it's reasonable to ask us to take a breath and to step away, but they have to realize that we are built for community. And if they take that community away from us, they will break us far worse than what we have to endure through the illness. And, and one of the things I warned against was as human beings, we have the right to decide certain things about where we go in life. And if they prioritize medicine over, let's say, my daughter at the time I said was had COVID and let's say it was advancing in her. I said, the medical community has no right to tell me I can't be by her side because the most important thing is that a human being may be passing from this earth. And if it's a human being that I love, I have every right to be there with her. That should be a priority. If I'm willing to give my life, risk my life to be sitting next to another human being as they pass from this earth, then nobody should be able to tell me that I shouldn't be able to do it. And they did. They did that to families. They did that to spouses. They did that to loved ones. They kept people from the people that they loved because they were doing that for our own good. And that's part of the problem. There's a book, and we're going to talk about it more in a, in a future podcast, but there's a book written by Charles Camosi that I read recently called Losing Our Dignity. And, and what, what Camosi talks about is, from Fordham University, he talks about, the idea that in medical ethics, we have lost the idea of human beings as being valuable by virtue of what they are, and we've reduced them to instrumental value, what they can do. So that there becomes a point where you can do so little that you don't matter, and that you're more important as a resource to other people in the sense of what organs we can harvest for you, or you're more an impediment to resources meaning that it takes too many resources to take care of you. And so the best thing that we can do for everybody oftentimes is to dehydrate you to death. In one of his chapters, chapter six, he was talking about how we deal with late stage dementia and beyond. That's the name of the chapter. What's next? Late stage dementia and beyond. He gives some numbers. Five million Americans have Alzheimer's. One million have Parkinson's. 400,000 have multiple sclerosis. 300 or 330,000 have amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And he talks about these numbers are growing. The longer we live, the more we're dealing with neurodegenerative disorders and elderly people. And, and we just lack the resources, the human resources to be able to care for these people the way that they ought to be cared for. Now there's, that's a special thing in the way he's framing it though, right? He says the way they ought to be cared for because Charles Camosi believes, as I believe that all human beings ought to be treated with dignity and respect because they're the image bearers of God but we're dealing with a medical system that is increasingly not looking at us and understanding us through instrumental or functional value and determining that there's such a thing as a life not worth living. And, and that's how we get to a place where we breed, I think, this despair in the world around us. I will say, and, and there's interesting ways to deal with it. We don't have a huge amount of time that I, or I don't want to devote a huge amount of time to it, but as we're wrestling with how do we deal with the elderly, and this is why it's important to me to remember when we talk about the elderly that are facing neurodegenerative disorders or, or diminishment in their neurodegenerative capacities, we're not talking about them as abstract patients. We should be thinking about them as the, the generation that came before us that made our world possible. We wouldn't be here without them. And now we're, we're fostering an image of community where we're outsourcing the most important moments of their life. There's a, there's a, a book um, 
there, there are several books written on this, but uh, Ira Bayok, who was one of the founders of the modern hospice movement, who started his, his work in hospice because his own father got cancer and he wanted to be left. He was living, I think Ira Bayok was in California. His father lived in New Jersey. He said, let me go home and die. And Ira Bayok, who was a medical doctor, said, let me take care of you. Maybe this is the reason that I am a doctor so that I can be here with you. And, and, and Dr. Bayok makes this case. Your passing from this earth is one of the most important things that is going to happen. It's one of the great events in life and we're getting terrible at dealing with it. And it's because we're losing sense of the idea that the human beings matter. As one, as, as Charles Camosi said, doctors often looking at their, the welfare of the nation and not the welfare of the individual in front of them. They're, they're practicing medicine or thinking about things in this grand scheme of things and the resources that must be used. And they're not looking at it as how do I deal with this human being in front of me right now? And, and, there's other, there, we're trying to develop things. One of the, I think there's, there's a lot of robots and AI that we're trying to produce to be able to deal with people as they start to diminish in their, their capacities. There's Pero, I think it was Pero the seal. Uh, he's developed as a therapeutic tool for patients. He's about the size, he's a heart seal pup robot, AI, that looks like a, uh, about the size of a baby. And they take them in to, to places where people are dealing with Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative disorders. And, and they, they, it makes harp seal noises. It responds to touch. Uh, it responds to the ways that it talks. It can learn. If you give it a different name, it can learn that name and it'll respond to that when you talk to it. And it helps. This helps uh, people to re-engage with their community. We, we hear from nurses or, that are dealing with our caregivers that are, that are working with these patients. And they say, we have people who want to be left alone all the time. They just want to sit there. And then we bring in Pero the seal and they suddenly re-engage. And there's, there's a whole bunch of these things that we're building as far as AI and robots. There's LEQ and a, and a mobile AI device that talks to elderly people and helps interact with them. Pepper is a humanoid robot that we're working on, intended to operate as a companion and has some caregiving applications. SAM designed to help with non-medical tasks and patients and checks in. So it goes around and it's got this little interface, like uh, looks like an iPad and with a smile on it. And it'll go check into a room and make sure the patient's okay to take over some of the the things that people are doing with there's buddy who's a Wi-Fi enabled internet capable robot to monitor elderly and keep them companion. There's Robear who's a big bear who picks patients up and puts them in bed, picks them out of bed and puts them into uh, a wheelchair. All of this is great. It's kind of like Baymax from big hero six. This is all great. This is wonderful stuff and it will help because we're going to have a, a situation where there are more older people than there are younger people because part of the problem with abortion is, is we're not replacing uh, the, the, the generation, there's not a replacement generation the size of the generations that are aging. And so we're having fewer kids and we're going to have more older people. So we'll have more people with neurodegenerative disorders and fewer people to take care of them and fewer resources to take care of them. And all of this goes, though, to a point where it bothered me as I looked at all of this. And I remembered when I, before I ever believed I was going to be doing this kind of work in ministry, one of the first things I ever did in ministry as a volunteer was I volunteered for five years at a nursing home in my community. And I would go and do church at this nursing home every Sunday for five years. And I was, and had some committed people that worked with me. And the experience was interesting because it started because I went to visit my own grandmother in a nursing home and I walked into the halls and you saw people who had just been abandoned. Basically there was just no one there for them sitting in wheelchairs, medicated so that they were just waiting for the next meal. And, 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 Kamusi talks about that in his book. That's oftentimes how people are treated when they get to this place. They are medicated so heavily 
to try to stop them from feeling distressed that they just sit there waiting for meal to meal to change to bed, but they have no life in that sense, but not because they can't have a life or because they can't be interacted with, but because there's no one there to interact with them. So I visited my grandmother and I went and talked to her, but while I walked down the hall and then walked out, I just saw people sitting alone and I was convicted. Where, where's the church or where is, where are the Christians? Where's the family? Where's the community right now? Why are these people just a, sitting in this place and not interacting with anybody at all? And, and then I got a phone call asking if I would start to work as a volunteer preaching sermons at this nursing home. And I said, yes, you called me at the exact right time. Absolutely. Yes, I will. And the guy who I was taking over for said something that I thought about. And, and this is why I said it's so important to remember when we talk about the end of life and is, is, is how we're dealing with them medically to, to get ourselves away from the idea of thinking of these abstract as parents uh, or as patients. He said to me, don't think of them as how you would want your parents to be treated. That's sometimes difficult for us to understand. He said, what I have tried to do is when I look at them, I think, how would I want my kids to be treated long after I'm gone by the strangers or the people that are left to take care of them? When I'm trying to determine how I want to, te- to take care of this person in front of me, who is in many ways losing touch with the world around them, oftentimes scared and confused by the place they found themselves in and surrounded by strangers, if surrounded by people at all, sometimes just alone. I look at them and I remember what that guy said. How would I want my kids to be treated if that were them? What would be my hopes for how the other human beings around them would treat my children when I am long gone and they are facing this in their life? And that was something that I experienced there and that that moved me when I was reading this chapter. Because oftentimes when we talk about physician-assisted suicide, we will talk about this more at another point, but we talk about this idea of people feeling a felt duty to die. We can split it up. When I did a talk on this, I did three different things. I said, your your right to die, your right to refuse medical uh, treatment, your right to die, which is a different thing altogether, and then a felt duty to die. And what happens when we lose sight of the dignity of human beings in our medical practices and in our community and through social media interaction and everywhere around us is we start to create a sense of despair and of hopelessness. Why I played that at the beginning, I like that video, is because it's a different view of how we deal with life. When I thought I was dying at that moment, all I could think of was, God, give me one more day with them with the people in my life. Let me see them more. When my wife had a, a stroke, well, we were out at lunch one day and she had a stroke and I had to ha- I had to call her parents and say, the ambulance is coming for your daughter. I need you to come to the restaurant and sit with your kids because I'm getting in the car and chasing the ambulance to the hospital. And while I was driving to the hospital, I wasn't thinking of work or ministry or anything else. I was asking God, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to have her gone. More, more time, more time with her. And that's the great thing about that, that, that fostering that sense of rage, rage against the, the dying, rage against the end. Stay alive for one more second. It's been one more moment because glorious things can happen, not just for me, 
and for others. Uh, I have a guest coming in just a moment here, Jonathan Noyes from Stand to Reason, and he's going to talk about suicide and give us three things to think about. But as we as we wrestle with all of these issues, I wanted to start off by dealing with the idea that we are made for community and that in so many different ways we're going away from that. And I talked about Baymax a second ago and the ways we might try to, to create. And that's lovely because it's helpful, but it's still, and it's, a, it's a counterfeit humanity, right? It's not real humanity. If we give them Baymax, if we give them robots, if we give people to take care of them, they're not joined in real relationships. It's a counterfeit relationship. And as we make life easier, which we should, and as we develop abilities to reach people who can't be reached through mechanized or computerized or artificial intelligence, all of these things are goods if they can help those people, but they have to be tools as we extend human love into their life. They can't become the replacement for human relationships because they're not real relationships. They're counterfeit relationships, counterfeit humanity, meant to fill a void, but not meant to completely fill it. We can never lose sight of our responsibility and duty as human beings to reach out to the people around us and provide community. Community is so important. But but one of the things I've learned more than anything, and, and I talk about it in those sense that we've talked about it today, is that when we lose the sense that the human beings in our lives are the most important things that we encounter, we can grow to feel isolated. They can grow to feel isolated. They can start to feel like the best thing they can do for everybody else around them is die. They can feel like the world is waiting for them to die. And then we can look at them and balance on balance this human life versus both the resources to take care of them and the idea that they may be a resource to other people if we harvest their organs. These are terrible, terrible things that we're wrestling with in the world today. And it begins at the moment that we lost track of the dignity of the individual. And that was what was most painful about reading about how we're dealing with neurodegenerative and the end of life and, and the despair that is fostering, not just in the patients, uh, but in the entire system as, as we believe, to, as we start to see or understand human beings as something that we can just move on out of our lives. I'm not telling people they have to live as long as they possibly can for everyone around them. I'm just arguing for today the idea that life is important and that we can help others to fight the despair of life if we keep in mind that they matter more than the things that we wanted to do in this world. They have more importance than the goals that we're seeking. They have, a, for Christians, we understand that they have a permanence and an enduring nature that none of the problems, none of the glories that we seek, none of the things that we're doing on this earth share. Their value is so immense through their relationship with God that he called us to love them as we love ourselves. And that is how we worship God. And worship God is all he wants from us. Love God, love them, and everything else will take care of itself. You'll figure all the rest out. As I heard one guy say, and another to paraphrase him, he said, if you love God, and we love our neighbors, the rest is just rock and roll. It's, it, it'll take care of itself. And, and so as I wanted to start today talking about different views, the idea though that life is precious and that we ought to not just fight for the lives of others in the sense through abortion and fighting against abortion and stand against the injustice of that, but that we ought to live our lives as if we recognize that it's important around us. As people I've, I've actually talked to in the pro-life community that are struggling sometimes, I tell them and remind them, as you fight for life, remember that our whole goal, the whole, the whole message that we have for world is that life is beautiful. 
and worth living. So make sure you're doing that as well, that you're not just fighting for life, but that you're living your life and that you're investing in the lives of the people around you and the community that you have, building meaningful relationships and keeping an eye on what's most important. And those are all the people that God has called into our lives. All right, as we transition, this will be the first time in the new Human Things podcast, Human Things 2.0, that we do this segment. This segment is called Three Things. We are inviting guests on who understand a particular issue better than I do, and they are given the freedom to say the three things that they want people to know most about whatever it is we're discussing. So this will be an ongoing segment. We will cover different areas. Somebody like Jonathan Noyce, who's from Stand to Reason, we're bringing on right now who has defended the faith in multiple different ways, but has also spent the last couple of years developing a focus and trying to understand suicide in our culture and among young people. He has a, a, a myriad of fields we could talk to him about, but I asked him to come on today to discuss this particular one, because as I've mentioned, I was struck by the ideas of despair and uh, the ideas of what it means to, to be in community and, and, and what it means to, to help the people around us and, and not feel isolated and not let this, this world push us to the side. And, and, all, and, and, and all of this to understand better what's going on in the lives of people around us. Jonathan, I mentioned earlier, uh, and we can bring him up now. There we go. Hey, I mentioned How's earlier. Good. Thank you so much for, bringing, uh, for coming on with us, Jonathan. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So I mentioned earlier before you came that I had been speaking at a school, I think it was in Indiana. And after I got done speaking, after doing the Q&A, these students had come up to me and they had said, you're here to talk about the value of human life. You're here to talk about these things. Why aren't you talking about suicide? And so I had asked them at that point, I said, what, is this important to you? Is suicide something I know that people in this audience have had abortions or have participated in abortion? And I was called in to talk about that, which was why that was the focus of my talk today but is suicide something that you're dealing with like that? And I was stunned when they said yes. Yeah. When they said it is something that we are dealing with as young people now in the world around us that's a present reality. It's not something we're hearing about. It's something that we're seeing and experiencing. So yeah. it became important to me. So, Yeah, you know, Jay, it's um, it's really interesting that you you bring this up right at this con like the start of our conversation because – I think suicide is very similar to abortion, not in that it just ends uh, the, the life of a, an innocent human being, but in that it's, it's one of those issues that nobody talks about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like even in our churches, what we do is we take these subject matter, this, this subject matter for, and for whatever reason, we, we relegate it to the dark corners of even our church and nobody talks about it because nobody's talking about it. You can't let the light of the gospel shine on it. And it was yeah. the same thing with abortion for the longest time. I mean, how, how many years have you been fighting just to have the conversation with Christians even, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's only until fairly recently, I feel like at least where the conversation is really starting to happen. And as the conversation happens, as we pull these hard things out of the corners and out of the closets, so to speak, and we start talking about them, we start sharing the gospel and, and, and applying the gospel on top of it. And then we see people healed. We see, literally, we see lives saved. So it's, it's actually a a very similar topic. I at least thought that's the way I approach it. 
it's a very similar topic to abortion in that nobody wants to talk about it yeah for whatever reason funny. right whether it be shame I know exactly guilt. why they yeah why they don't want to talk about abortion but you I, I'll, and i'll let you I'll, i just want to interject one of the things i think is funny yeah. is i i have spoken it i can't tell you how many schools i've gone to particularly high schools christian high schools catholic high schools that have brought me in they brought me in to talk about abortion and whoever introduced me refused to say that word during my introduction. Like the introduction for what I was going to talk about was so bizarrely general that by the time I got up there, I had to say, <laughs> it's important to me that, you know, I'm going to be talking about abortion for some reason. He didn't want to bring that up. Uh, but that's it, really it, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's like the same thing with suicide. Right? It's like, we don't want to say the word because somehow if we say the word, all yeah. of a sudden, something kind of magical happens in somebody's minds. And then all of a sudden this issue that's already a reality is going to become a reality, you know? And it's just like, why aren't we talking about these things? Why aren't we using the appropriate words? It's like raising kids, right? So I got four little girls. You can pray for me, man. Like somebody is always crying in my house. And it's usually <laughs> me like over in the corner in the fetal position, wondering <laughs> what is going on, you know? And uh, so it's like raising kids though, right? You, you yeah, I mean, you you speak to them in an appropriate manner, but for yeah. at least the way I raise my kids is we use proper terminology. The baby isn't in the mother's tummy. The baby is in the mother's womb, yeah. right? And and so we 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 use anatomically correct terms and, and stuff like this because what we want to do is we want to teach according to reality, the, the, the way the world really is. And when we start removing terms and we start shying away from using the proper terminology – what happens is, is the subject matter at best, I think becomes gray. Yeah. It's, it's slushy at worst. Nobody knows what you're talking about. Like in, in this instance, it sounds to me like somebody introduced you and they introduced you. Like you could be going, I mean, you could be talking about the Kalam cosmological anything. argument yeah. or, or anything else, you know, but it's like, no, we're talking about abortion. Yeah. Like today we're talking about suicide and yeah. it's, it's an ugly word. And it's a, it's a word that when I say it, it makes me so, so sad inside, mm. you know, like abortion. When I say abortion, nothing pleasurable comes from that word, but it's a word that has meaning and, and, and words have meaning and it's important to, to use the proper words in order to inject that meaning into conversations. Absolutely. And in, in my household, by the way, I have three, I have two young, my two youngest are daughters and then a son uh, growing <laughs> up for them. Now mine are like two of mine are in college and one of them's in eighth grade. Uh, it's, I just, you know, I'm about to turn that over to you, but I think it's funny when you're talking about words have meanings. And my wife feels that very, very strongly that you should answer questions with specificity. And that includes yeah. questions about sex. So in our <laughs> household, like if anything came up and the kids said, what was that? My wife would give the most forensically accurate answer <laughs> imaginable. And it is, it is so like a part of my soul would die every time the kid would ask a <laughs> question. It's like, oh no, here we go. Because I mean, she was not holding back at all. It, it, there would be graphic <laughs> descriptions, whatever it was. Because in her mind... She's like, we are not afraid to talk about anything in this house. And if you're, yeah, and that's really, she sounds like a fantastic mom, you know? She's an amazing mom. You know, uh, she's like, she's trying to do the best she can with, with the kids. And I, I agree with her, with her approach, man. Like, for, for better or worse. And I'm not saying, like, man, I've messed this up so many times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My kids, man, uh, yeah, especially around the sex issue, because like, I just dive in. And then I'm like, oh man, I totally ruined it. Like, no, dang it. she does. She does have one thing that she does very well, right? She gives the, the horrifying answer and then she'll say, uh, is that all you want to know? Or do you need more? And like my kid's like, that's enough, mom. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah. We, I'll be we back in like cover. 10 years. Yeah. I'm going to take a while to recover from this. 
A doctor told me one time, a guy who's a like a professional in development with kids, he said, you want to have the sex talk with kids while it still horrifies them to hear it. I was like, well, my yeah. wife accomplished that. She did that in spades, man. It horrified them to the point to this day. Like I have a 20 year old and an 18 year old and they still don't want to talk around about sex around my wife because that's it, really it will, funny. It will get very detailed. Now you were called here to talk about suicide much seriously. So I want to turn sure. it over to you. Tell what's the three things that people should know when we're talking about this issue. Oh man. You know what? Like there's so much, right? So when you ask for three, it's, it's, it's really difficult. So if I'm a Christian apologist and the reason what's okay. that? I said, if you have to go over, go over. But three, no, three, no. Three. I mean, I'm a Christian apologist to stand the reason, but I'm also a pastor. So I pastor a small little church that I started almost four years ago and my heart in this issue, especially. So if you were to ask about my giftings, my giftings, uh, the traditional language would be, you know, I'm, I'm an evangelist and, uh, and pastor, mm. you know, those are, those are kind of where God has me. And with this, in, this particular issue, uh, I take on a very pastoral approach. So what I'd kind of like to do is, if it's okay with you, is, yeah. I mean, we can address the, the the main questions I answer, you know, but I think underlying, like, the, you know, why are people contemplating suicide? Why is it important? Like, how can we help? I'd, I'd prefer to talk about issues like, um, you know, um, for people in your audience right now who are struggling or they have a friend who struggles, what are three things that they can know in order to either get themselves the help that they so desperately need or be that person in their friend's life that can possibly get them the help. And the first one of those things is to understand that you're not alone. And this is something I stress to, to all of my audiences. So the, the, the talk has really morphed. And this is, I just did, I just did an analysis of all of my speaking cumulative in the last four years at Stand to Reason. My suicide talk is requested 30% of the time. So this one talk, I, I, I give, I mean, I probably have 15 talks I can yeah. give, Yeah. you know, vast majority of the time I give this talk, uh, maybe sometimes along with another one, but this is the one that, I mean, I'm going to Seattle and I'm speaking at two middle schools and they want to talk about suicide, mm. you know, and, and because it's the number two cause of death for ages 10 to 34. And when I, when I start my presentation, you know, I, I tell people the statistics, I tell them that, you know, the, the, the rates are skyrocketing. It's up 30% in the last 20 years. I tell them about the, uh, you know, um, there's twice as many suicides and there are murders in this country. I tell them that, you know, uh, there's, there's more than a million ER visits, like all of this, but the most important thing, the most important thing, if, if people walk away just with one thing that they remember is that they're not alone, mm -hmm. like they are not alone and the statistics dictate that they tell us that like I, i'll have people i what i do is i, I get out in front of where i'm t wherever i'm whether it be a pulpit or, or stand or whatever and i just say hey guys i need you everybody look at me look at me listen i want to let you know that i love you and i and i can say that and i can mean that why because you're made in the image of god and it doesn't matter what you've done or what you do it doesn't matter what you will do it doesn't matter if you're a believer or, or an atheist. I love you because you're made in the image of God. The image of God is the one thing in your life that you can never throw off of yourself. And because of that, you're valuable and you, are, you have dignity and, you, and you're worthy of my love and you're worthy of my time. And I want to tell you, I hear you, I see you, and I love you. And that's how I start my talk. 
And then I build on that to let them know because of this, I care about you. I want to let you know that you are not alone. And if you have friends in your life that are struggling with this, you need to tell them that they're not alone, right? The stats mm -hmm. show it. Um, and and then what we want to do is we want to, our general nature is to believe lies, right? Satan is a liar is what Jesus says. Satan is a liar. He came to kill, steal, and destroy, right? He, the, Jesus says that Satan's the father of lies. And one of the lies that, that Satan would, would have us believe, especially today in the, in the post kind of COVID world where we're trying to figure it out, uh, is, is that we, we feel this sense of isolation yeah. and, and not only that, but then we turn to, and this could go off on another tangent and I'm, I'll try not to let it, but then we turn to, to false community where we turn to, you know, the social media platforms and, and pretends yeah. like that's real community when it's not, we're flesh and blood built for relationship with each other. You know, we need, we need to feel people's touch and we need to see the, see their eyes and, 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 and we need to be around them and, and, and interact in a, in a, um, in a, you know, incarnate way, yeah. not, uh, just through a, a, a screen or a computer. So the first thing that I, I remind people of all of this, and I just tell them, don't believe the lie. Satan is going to lie to you. And he's going to tell you that nobody understands. He's going to tell you that that nobody has ever been where you're at. And that is a lie because I guarantee you there's people that are watching this video right now. There's people in every audience I speak to who not only uh, want to help you, but they understand exactly what you're going through. No, not the specifics of the situation because everybody's life's different. Yeah. But we've but but these we all have people in our lives that hit have hit rock bottom and, and they don't want to live anymore. Yeah. They, they all believe the lie that they're better off dead than alive. They all become without hope, some of these people, and, and they know what it is that you're struggling with. So you have to, you have to trust me. This is why I tell people, you have to trust me. You're not alone. I'm here for you. And, and uh, Jay, man, like, okay, so I was just in Minneapolis, 3,800 students at this conference, our reality student apologetics conference. And I give my talk, I, my first talk, I give the talk, suicide talk twice as a breakout. The room is packed. They have to add 70 chairs. So I'm, I have about 600 in a room that holds, you know, maybe four or 500. This is, these are students. Yeah. They're sitting in the aisleways. They're standing along the walls. And I give the talk from 11 to 12. From 12 on, I'm sitting there praying with people, counseling these students, talking to them, hearing horrific things, but also hearing some really good things too, which maybe if we have time, I'll share. But, but you know, and then, so, so then lunch, going through lunch, going through the next plenary session, then I, I have to get back up there at, I think it's like three o'clock is my next breakout. So I have to stop conversation with students, get back up, give the suicide talk again to another packed room, 600 kids, and then get down. And then this last, what is it, two months ago when I was in Minneapolis, I stayed until almost 7.30 at night talking to these students because so many of them are hurting and, and, and where the piece of advice, where the, where, where if I could get everybody to understand one thing is that you're not alone. Yeah. There are many people that you can turn to for help. There are many people that you can talk to. And that kind of builds on like, that means unfortunately with something like this, it's, it's, again, it's kind of similar to abortion. These you're struggling with something that's very serious. And unfortunately you have to do a hard thing. And you have to talk to somebody. Yeah. So sometimes you have to take that first step and talk to somebody, but it's all built on the premise that you're not alone. 
you know, and, uh, and I think that's the most important part of it. And then I have two more. I don't know if you have any comments about that. Yeah. I want to say something about that and then I'll let you some of the other two. Um, because there's two things I wanted to say. Number one, I being about not being alone. Uh, I think it was sitting around one night out at summit and Jeff Myers was talking about when they did the summit, the, the digital remember when uh, COVID hit and they had to find a way to do this online to, to not lose community. And I thought, it, I think he's the one that told me that they had set up a, a 24 hour hotline so that kids could call in at any time from all over the world with theological questions, because that was an important part of the summit experience is being able to ask the people on the campus at any moment to help understand the issues that they're discussing. And then he wasn't prepared for how many of the people calling up, the young people called up on that 24 hour line where they were offered the opportunity to talk about theology or philosophical questions, whatever. And it was people struggling with this meaning purpose. I feel alone. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling. And, um, it was actually at summit semester this year where I got to go and was blessed to be able to spend like three days with the kids. And after the, when I was out there talking, I'd been on the road for a little bit at that point and I was not feeling great. And I told, I mentioned while I was talking, Hey, you know what? I'm, I, I'm an introvert, which means I'm always going to look like I don't want you to talk to me. That's just the way I look. But at the same time, I'm a hugger and I love hugging. So I'm both yeah. introverted in the sense that I'm always prefer the company of books for the most part. And when I do talk to people, I would like to talk about very meaningful things. And I have, I have trouble with, with some pointless conversation, but I was like, I, I, I'm a hugger. And so when I was done, there were these guys lined up to talk. There's always people lined up to talk. Right. So I got to the, one of the guys and I said, so, you know, what's your question? He said, I don't have a question. I just came up to hug you. So dude gives me a hug. Great hugger, by the way, solid like good. And I wouldn't let him go. He's like, he got, he got his three beats and he's ready to let go. And I was like, no, we're locked in here for a minute, man. Cause I, I need more of this. And then he got done. And then the next kid came up. It's like, I'm just here for the hugs too. And so he hugs me and these kids are ministering to me by walking up and hugging me. Cause I just said, I miss it in my home. We hug all the time. That's just what we do. We walk by somebody in the hall. We just grab you and hug you because we're like, I love you. And, and when you don't have that on the road, I didn't realize until those kids lined up, how much I was missing that, that t- you mentioned that earlier, that human connection, that touch. But then a remarkable thing happened. Then they started hugging each other. And then I noticed that more people were coming up to hug before I spoke and then after I spoke each session. And then I noticed when I went to breakfast, when they were all coming in to eat, they were hugging each other the first time they saw each other. <laughs> and, and everybody starts hugging. And there were people that were there when they first got this. Like, if you're not a hugger, don't don't worry. I'm not going to force you to hug me. Like, hugging non-huggers is like hugging a weird tree. You'll get all rigid. And Nobody wants that, right? So, but this non-hugger then was standing in front of me. And, and they said, look, I just am not used to this, but I want in. Right? I see everybody hugging and I want in. And, and it became a thing that sort of just took over the those three days that I was there. Everybody was hugging each other the whole time. It is one of my favorite things that's ever happened while I was on the road I speaking. I love it. If I walked into a room, people just lined up and, and everybody was so excited, like, bring it in, bring it in, buddy. And we're just hugging. Um, yeah. And it was that closeness was just, it, it, there's no, there's, there's no substitute for it. Not for yeah. real genuine human affection. And one of the, I know I was told later, uh, you know, that some of these students had come from rougher backgrounds and yeah. the men in their lives had not been huggers. And so, and, and had not been people that wanted to, to, to show affection for them in that way. 
And I yeah. know what you see when you say, I love you, man. Cause I, I tell those kids that too. And when they hug me, I'm like, I love you. I, I mean, I love yeah. you. I know it sounds weird cause I, I'm a stranger, but you're the most important thing. that's going to be in front of me all day is, is yeah. the other people in my day. So, but okay, go that's ahead. So, that, that's so good, Jay. You know, that's like, I think sometimes, oh man, I, I, people sometimes not misunderstand why we do what we do or like the reason why I go to these places is, is, is because is, is for them is for the students yeah. is for the adults. It's whoever I'm speaking to. It's, it's for the people. And that's like, I I'm going on a, a fairly substantial trip coming up here uh, to New Zealand. Right. And I'm going to be gone like 19 days. And I was talking to the people and I'm not like patting myself on the back. I hope it doesn't come off like this because no. that's not my heart. But like, they're talking to me, Hey, do you want to do like Hobbiton or do you want to like, what do you want to see when you're here? And I'm like, honestly, I just want to be with you. Like I'm, I'm there to, to like, I just want to, I just want to spend as much time as I can with, 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 with you and your team and whoever you have me speaking to, because like, because, because it goes back to image of God stuff, man. Like, like we're, we're built for community and for relationship and I want to see some sites and stuff, but, but I don't want to, I just want to, I just want, I'd rather be with, with the people. Yeah. And be with people around me and and so into them however I can. And this is something I learned from from my boss, Greg Coco, right? This is something that he's he's done so so well throughout his entire life. Is is that uh, you know, the the it's the people that matter and yeah. and people are valuable. And 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 we need to like this is one of the things that I oh man, I, I get really excited when I start talking about this because like I start talking to the students about this stuff, especially the students. But I, I like we got to get off the highways and the byways of life, man. Yeah. Like we got to slow down, put your phones down, get off of your social media. It's not good for you. This is objectively true, by the way. Now, yep. like we're seeing studies show it's not good for you. Like get off and like spend time to one of them. Jesus says, well, Paul, I think is quoting Jesus. It's, it's, it's when we're weak. Yeah. that we're strong right paul says that he's well content with all of these things you know all of these tortures and everything like this because it's when we're weak that we're strong so it, we got to become weak with one another jay like we just got to be real yeah. like let's drop the pretense like on sunday morning if you come to my church and and you ask me how i'm doing and i'm having a rough morning guess what i'm gonna be like jay man i'm so glad that you asked maybe we can pray right now because uh, I just like flipped out on my wife and she didn't deserve it. And I did it in front of my kids. So now they're getting that from their dad. It's Sunday morning. I have to go preach yeah. and then I have to pretend like I'm super holy up here. And it's like really weighing on me, not to mention I'm traveling all over the place and I feel like I'm losing my family. Like, I don't know what to do. I can't afford my car that my wife really wants, you know? And yeah. like, you're going to be like, ah, cause, cause you ask these questions on Sunday morning. We ask these questions. Hey, how you doing? Oh, blessed, blessed. <laughs> Get that blessed out of my face. Like, no, we're not. We're struggling. We live in a hard world. Mm. The reality is, is that we live in a very hard world. Listen, I have a fantastic life. I I, I really do. I, I, I have my dream job. I have incredible mentors. I run a church that I love with, with my three best friends. I have a wife who's absolutely gorgeous and so smart and amazing. I have four fantastic kids. I make okay money. I don't struggle. I love my life but it's still a hard life so maybe we need to spend more time just being real with one another on everyday life yeah, not just yeah. like not not like oh man i could say so much i don't want to get myself in trouble oh, whatever so so like small groups right at church even small groups and at church we put on these like these veneers it's like it's like a it's like a nail polish over us and and, and underneath like like we're just kind of broken and we're hurting 
And, and, and why can't we just say, Hey, you know what? I'm hurting. Like I need help. Yeah. Like I just, and, and you don't need to like solve my problems, but can I just talk to you? Can I just, what, can man. I just share, can I just share like five minutes of your time? I had... and, and will you just listen? And when I'm done, will you just, will you just tell me you love me? And, and will you pray for me? Yeah. You know, this isn't, this isn't rocket science here. But if we focused as Christians, if we focused on that, I think that we'd see major, I mean, our churches would become completely transformed. And I'm not saying this doesn't happen in church. Like, yeah, it does. Church is very, very good. But but what I would I would like to do is I'd like to like I, I remind everybody when I'm speaking, like, you know, you, you, we got to find rest and, and comfort in, in our identity in the gospel and in Jesus, because the world is going to lie to you. The world is going to tell you that that you're only as good as your last failure. You're only as good as as, as how many likes a Facebook post or, or or who you take to prom or what kind of car you drive or what kind of college you get into, what kind of job you get, how much money you make, what your wife looks like, wh what your husband does, how many kids you have, how good they are as, as, as they sit in church. Like this is what the world is going to want to judge you yeah. on. But, but that's not where we're judged on. You know, when, when Christ, when, when God looks at us, he doesn't see all of that stuff. He sees Christ's righteousness. We're children yeah. of God, Jay. Yeah. Like we're children of God. We've been wrapped in Christ's righteousness. We've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light is what the Bible says. The Bible says, says that, that we've gone from children of perdition, children of wrath, to children of God, adopted heirs. Adopted heirs, Jay. Adopted heirs with Jesus to all that's Jesus's. God has given us everything that he's given Jesus. And he gave Jesus everything. Yeah. And this is like, this is, this is the news, by the way, just to be clear, this is the news that's changed the world. Yeah. Elon Musk, he'll come and go, you know? Uh, just like everybody else, all these social influencers, uh, I, I honestly don't know any of their names because I'm not on social media that much, but all of these guys, they're going to come and go, Yeah. but Jesus never does. And when we focus on that and we find our hope in him and, and, and we put our identity in him and, and we understand that we're not alone and we lean into that community, we become real with one another. We, we get strength from each other, which actually leads kind of the second point, right? So you're not alone, but then also that, that we have to learn that, that we have to press on. So Paul, right? Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians somewhere, 2 Corinthians 4, somewhere, he, he says, for these are but momentary light afflictions producing in us eternal weight of glory. So these are but momentary light afflictions producing in us an eternal weight of glory. I love this passage because notice he says the first piece of advice that Paul gives us is that these things that we're going through, these struggles that we're going through, they're momentary. They're, they're going to pass, right? But when I don't know about you, Jay, when, I, when I'm going through something really hard and, and somebody comes to me and they say, you know what? this too shall pass. I say, get out of my face. Uh, That's not helpful, but it's everything true. Everything will, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of trivially true. This too shall it's pass. true, and especially, yeah. well, on, especially on a divine timeline, right? So, yeah. so this is why it's important to get that foundation of who we are yeah. as Christians, because then we build on that foundation and we understand that, that I'm, I'm reconciled to the living God. Yeah. I'm, I'm loved by him. He loves me so much that he gave his only son for me. So I have this love. And, and, and by the way, the Bible says that, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, right? As far as the East is from the West, so far has God removed his transgressions from us, right? He doesn't look at us like that. So we build on that. And then when we, when then, so, so we know we're destined for eternal glory. So we put our lives and then our struggles, which are just a small portion of our lives on the timeline of glory, 
these this this too shall pass yeah you know it really will but notice the second thing that paul's saying there in that verse right these but momentary light afflictions producing in us an eternal weight of glory god is is allowing us to go through these struggles in order to so that we something is produced in us that otherwise wouldn't be there yeah so our struggles are for not aren't for not you know there's there's meaning and purpose even in our struggles so even in even in the most horrific things i i trust this because this is what the word of god tells me and i trust god you know and and and, and god says that that he's going to use these things what's he going to use them for i think that this verse says he's using these things right now to build us in order to bear the weight of glory we're going to be rulers alongside king jesus in heaven this is really cool like we're going to be given charge of angels is what the scripture says charge of angels. jay man i'm gonna be like michael go get me a coke yeah right now you know i'm not gonna say that you know you i'm not but, but I'm like gonna, just i'm gonna watch how that turns out for you yeah no i'm, I mean, no, I'm not going to, obviously but but this is like this is who we this is who you yeah. are jay yeah i know yeah this this is the true story of reality yes which is so cool. So, so, so you're not alone, not only that, but God loves you so much that he's saved you when you're a Christian. And that gives us the strength, even in the midst of struggles to press on yeah. through our struggles, right? It, it, it's Paul that says that I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, he's pointing us through our trials, through our circumstances, through our loss and, and through our struggles. And he's pointing us to Jesus Christ and the hope of his cross. You know, what and, and when we have this, yeah. It's a great... Sorry, I can go off, man. No, I'm no, so no, sorry. No, no, no. Oh gosh, no. Don't worry about it. I love it. That's what you're here for because you're going to yeah. make my make show more interesting. Um, now, <laughs> but one of the things I think is fascinating, one of the stories that I think tells what you're saying in the Bible in a fascinating way is when Elijah runs from Jezebel. And it's, it's, oh. such, a, it's such a great story because he's, first thing God does is attend to the needs of Elijah, right? He, he, he gives him food, he gives him water, he restores him, he gets him somewhere where he's alone. And at that moment, when Elijah starts to whine about, I'm alone and I want to die and there's nobody faithful and I'm the only one that has stayed faithful, you know, God gives him this demonstration of his authority and his sovereignty and Elijah complains again. What I love about God's response is that in, in order, restore him get him alone. And then when Elijah refuses to, he's like, what are we doing here, Elijah? Right? It's like, what, what? I love God's response. Like now that I got you here, what are we even doing here? Why are we running from Jezebel? What happened that we ended up going from that victory to this place that fast? And when he says all those things that he says, which is typical of every person, including myself that I've ever met who is, is struggling with a moment, right? I'm alone. Yeah. I'm isolated. There is no one for me. There is nothing for me. I just want to die. And the way God finishes that conversation isn't finding a way to convince Elijah that everything isn't as bad as he thinks it is. The way he ends that conversation says, you got work to do, man. I don't like, I don't have time for this, Elijah. All right. We've spent enough time on this. Get up and go work. You know, you've yeah. got a job to do. Go do your job. And it's kind of like an aside. And by the way, I've got faithful. There's faithful. They're there. It's not just you alone, big guy. Who was cheering yeah. for you when we beat the prophets of Baal? There are people out there. And so this is such a great transition of, I feel alone. I'm desperate. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'll take care of your needs. I'll, 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 I'll comfort you to the point that I have to comfort you. But there just gets to be a point where you got a, you got a job to do. I mean, go get busy. 
Go get go get Press to work on. Yeah, and I had this happen last year. I mentioned on another episode, I had health health issues, right? And I think I mentioned that earlier on this episode. I had health issues. The first round of health issues were actually biological in the sense that I there were things that were wrong with me. The second round was like my brain betrayed me. It figured out <laughs> that there were things that it could trigger in my body that would freak me out relating to that first round of incidents. And so now for the rest of my life, I've been told, my brain will periodically just trigger a series of symptoms in me. And there's nothing mm-hmm. I can do to stop it. But I have to marshal myself. And when I was going through this, and I was talking to a friend who, who deals with this as a profession, he said, I said, what happens to people who, who get what's going on with me? And he said, a lot of them become shut-ins because any movement mm-hmm. they get afraid is going to trigger it. I was like, well, I got a gig in like two weeks. I can't be a shut-in, right? I've got to go defend the value of human life in Kentucky or New York or wherever I was going at that point in like two weeks. So I got to get this bad boy under control and learn how to live <laughs> with it because I don't have the luxury of just sitting around and doing nothing. I got a life I got to lead. And yeah. so, but the, the interesting thing, building on what you said before too, and I'll turn it back over to you as soon as I share this, but I think, I think yeah. this is so relevant to what you said. I had to deal with the fact that for the first time in my life, my body turned on me in some way. And I was mm. having to deal with it in a way that I've never had to deal with. But when I became honest about that, and when I would tell people what I was going through, I found out all these other people were dealing with fairly similar things that they were afraid to talk about because they yeah. thought it made them look weak and they didn't want to share it. And, and the sense that even in Q&A one time, I was speaking, this was at a, a college in Alabama this fall, this young lady stood up and, and I found out later what she's dealing with from a pastor who works with her, but she was asking me questions about about is it faithful? Is it a violation of the faithfulness of our witness and our confidence in God if we accept like medical help when our brains have turned against us in her way? And, and, and I found out later she was schizophrenic. And she, when I was answering from the stage, my answer to that question before what I've gone through and after what I've gone through are entirely different because I'm a different man. And when I was, I would have probably had some of the same substance. It's kind of like when C.S. Lewis wrote A Grief Observed. Uh, was a different look than the problem of pain, right? It's yeah. one thing for me to stand here and say, there's a problem. I understand what it means to need medical treatment. And another thing for me to say, I have needed people to step in and help me when I had issues that I wasn't, that I couldn't understand. And so there is nothing wrong with you going to somebody who can help you when your brain has turned against you to get the help that you need to get it back under control. And all of these ability to to have that identification with them was born out of the fact that once I went through something, I was willing to admit it to them. Oh, I'm, I've had that issue. And, and, and they, well, I've had it. And they got very excited at that point because they're not alone and they're seeing somebody deal with it, right? I didn't say I beat it. I didn't say it's gone. It's just a part of my life for the rest of my life. It's just there, but it's not going to run my life and it's not going to stop my life. Yeah. I think that's a, that, I mean, that's a great illustration of exactly kind of the point that the, the, the point that, that we're making today, right? So the first is that you're not alone. The one is, and then you're not alone in this diagnosis for you. Uh, Elijah wasn't alone. God made yeah. that clear as he picks him up, clothes yeah. him, feeds him, dusts him off and sends him out. And then the third one that you just said in your thing, you know, you're like, Hey doc, I got things to do. Like God has his hand on my life to do things. I have to do them. That means I need to I need to figure this out so I can go to New York or, or Kentucky or wherever, 
in your case, defends, you know, these innocent human life. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the third principle, like, you know, so, so you're not alone press on the third principle that I think that we should talk about is, is that God's not done using you. Yeah. Right. So sometimes, and this, this, this guy, uh, this, this wonderful guy, Brett Kunkel, perhaps yeah. you know him, I know right. And, well. and in his book with John Stone street, he, this is, I, I, I remember this line. I could find it in the book in a second. Um, practical guide to culture. Yep. He says, don't confuse the moment that you find yourself in with the entire story of your life, right? Don't yeah. confuse the moment you find yourself in with the entire story of your life. And what he's saying there is that we gotta, we, we're in a hard moment, but when we press on, and the reason why we press on, this is exactly what Paul was saying, this is what you were just saying, this is what God was saying to Elijah, when we press on, God will use you. Yeah. God will use you. So let me, let me just say like directly to you, to the people who are watching or listening to this, like if, if, if you're wrestling with, with, uh, with loneliness, if you're wrestling with thoughts of suicide, I want to let you know that God's not done with you. God will pick you up. God will dust you off and God will use you. And oftentimes we're used in the lives of other people that are going through this very thing. At the very onset of our conversation, we said, you're not alone. There's a lot of people who know what you're going through. Well, the reason why you're not alone and there's a lot of people, because people pressed on. Yeah. Because they got to the point where you're at, but they pressed on through it. And when they did that, they saw the sun rise on the darkness that they found themselves in. You know, it, it, and, and it gets back to those lies that we believe, those lies that we've already touched on. Right. Paul, Paul says that that my my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Right. He says that I'd rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So so it's all about being weak, getting low with each other so that we can spur each other on and remind each other that God's not done with us. God will use us. And, and so so, you know, and then that's like what's going on in your life right now, Jay. Let me encourage you. You're doing incredible work. Jay, you are literally saving lives. Like sometimes I don't think like we stop and think of this. Like you are literally saving lives. Like there are going to be people in heaven that you've never met, but are but are given the opportunity to respond the, 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 to the call of Christ on their life. And they're going to do incredible things all because you gave a presentation at a high school and, 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 and affected uh, a student in such a way that they didn't kill their unborn baby. Like this is incredible stuff. This is so cool. You know, so as you press on through your trials and through your loss, through the stuff that's going on in your own mind, as you lean into the hard things and you rely on the community of God and, and you remember that you're not alone, God uses you to do incredible things. Yeah. Like, oh, this is like, this is, this is what we get to do for yeah. a living. Have you ever, do you ever stop and think about this? We get to do this. Yeah. Like this is like, oh man, who am I? I think Scott, Scott Klusendorf and I were talking one time and um, he was, he was relaying something to me. I want to say Chuck Colson had told him and uh, it was that, and he'll correct me next time I see him if I get this wrong, but Scott <laughs> was saying that uh, Colson had told Scott early on in his ministry, he said, God will not let you see the impact of your work more often than not. Like for them, he's going to hide it from you. He's going to keep you veiled from it so that it can't, so you won't work for it, right? Like we're not working for those things. I'm working because I am obedient to God's call and I live in a culture that demands that you, somebody say something in the face of the things that we're seeing in our culture. But he said, every once in a while, I said, Colson told him, every once in a while when you desperately need it, 
he's going to pull back the veil and let you see just a touch of what you're doing in the world, just enough to keep you going. And then he'll close it back down because he needs you looking at the job, right? I need you yeah. on the job. I need, that's what you need to keep your eyes on your work and not that side. I'll take care of that side of things. But I've found as almost everything Scott has ever said to me in my life to be incredibly true, right? We work in a world where God just doesn't let you see how you're impacting the world around yeah. you all the time. But every once in a while, he is in his grace and mercy, he'll just peel it back a little bit and suddenly somebody says something to you and you're like, wow, I, I, I wasn't <laughs> aware that I was doing anything that mattered because I was just doing the job in front of me every second of the way. Uh, but it's it's amazing that the to me doing my job, the, the craziest thing for me, before I turn it back over to you, is that oftentimes the things that I say that matter to most of people are not what I intended to say. I mean, I, I get up there and I'll, I'll have this hour long talk where I'm making, I, I think, these great points. And then these people would come and see me like a year later and they would tell me what I said. And but that wasn't part of the main points. It was, it was a throwaway line. I just, I mentioned yeah. that off the cuff, but it changed. It was, that was the thing that they locked in on and it changed them. And so it's, it's just a fascinating thing to be in service of God. And I oh. think that Scott is, whoever, if it was Colson that told Scott that Colson was right, Scott was right to pass it on. It yeah. is just the nature of life. I think that when you're focused on the job, which we ought to be doing in service and obedience to God, every once in a while, God says, yeah, but man, I'm doing some cool stuff with it. And this is like what you're highlighting here is so important, Jay, because like, can I just be real with you? Uh, dude, well, you, you speak on abortion a lot of the time. Yeah. I speak on suicide like, a lot of the time, man. And this is, dude, it's really hard. Yeah. Like it's really hard, you know. Oh, yes. And some of the some of the stories that I hear from young people and adults alike are just they're heartbreaking. And and like, and it's so hard. Like if I'm being honest with you, after I'm done, every time, like you could talk to Kokel, he's seen it. Like I go and I break down because like I'm just like this is like this is just so hard. But to your point, God allows us a window and he gives us these certain graces that spur us on. And, and let me share just briefly. If I, do we have time? Can I share just a brief story? We have, we have, there is no cap on this, man. You're the, you're yeah, the right. you talk much <laughs> talk. we'll go all day. Uh, so I, um, I went in Minneapolis. I gave the, the Minneapolis is where I gave this talk first. And for some reason, uh, the suicide issue is there's a few cities that we go to that it's, it's more prevalent than others. Like, mm. like there's, Rooms are always full, but sometimes they're like overflowing full. Yeah. And Minneapolis is one of those cities. And I, I, I was there for the first time and I had this, this young girl come up to me, uh, 14, 13 or 14. So she's young, come up to me just bawling. She's a wreck. And she's there with her friend and her friend's mom. And she says to me, she says, uh, Mr. Noise. I say, well, I'm John. She, John, I'm so glad I came to this talk today. And I was like, well, why, why, why are you glad? And she said, I was going to kill myself tomorrow morning. Oh my gosh. My parents were going to go to church. This was a Saturday. My parents were going to go to church. I have enough meds. I haven't been taking them. I've researched it. I have my plan. I was going to take my pills. I was going to drink a bunch of alcohol and I was going to go to sleep and never wake up. And, but because I came here and then she reiterated the points of my talk, which is like, unbelievable. You're not alone. There is hope. Things will get better. It's like what kind of like what I stress in the message. And she reiterated these things. Well, this girl, like, like I prayed with her and then I connected her to the youth pastor. And there's, I usually try in my talks to have trained counselors in the room now. 
So I connected her to these things. And then uh, I go back the next year. This is the grace of God. I go back the next year and she's there and she, and she comes up and she gives me like a huge hug, which is like, I'm kind of like a hugger too, but with like, you know, girls, I do the pastor side hug normally. And she comes running up and she gives me a huge hug. And she's like, I came and I just needed to sit in your talk because I look forward to this all year to hear your talk again. And thank you so much. And I see her the next year. And now she's like a young woman wow. and she's absolutely beautiful. And, and where once she was like dead inside, you know, you could just see it like in her eyes. She had no life. Now she's vibrant and alive. And then this year I went and I didn't see her. And I was like, oh man, I hope everything's okay. And then she, after I gave my second talk, a friend of hers came up and said, hey, I just want to let you know she wanted to be here, but she started college in New York and she's all good. And it's just like, God allows us these, these images like right there, that yeah. girl. And she probably, she doesn't know this about herself, like, but she's an anchor for me in God's grace yep. that, that spurs me on, you know, that's like, okay, God is using this, you know, using this despite me. Cause, cause I'm a, I'm a wreck. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm a wreck. People who are listening to this and watching this, they can see this. I'm passionate. And I'm like, ah, like all over the place, but God still uses it. And I have like, I have a lot of heartbreak, yeah. but I have a lot of, uh, a, 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 a lot of those types of stories too, where we get to experience God's grace. And, and then he, like you said, he kind of, kind of pulls back the curtain just a little bit and says, you know what? Like, it's worth it. It's worth it. And you're doing yeah. a good job. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That's the goal, right? Yeah. The goal yeah. is, this is at the end of days, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, that, that is like, just, just spurs me on, man. So you're right on there. This is like. I tell you it's what, it's really dude, hard work, dude. Like when you're talking about the, the, it's not just when you were saying that when we, cause what we talk about, I was at Northwestern doing an event and Maureen Conduct was there. Uh, great, uh, uh, intellectual Christian intellectual. She writes on the embryology, uh, just a brilliant woman. And, and she and I had both spoken in the plenaries. And then when it was over, we were chatting and we were having a conversation and I was asking her because it's my way. If I get around anybody, I just start peppering them with questions about their area. I just want to know more about what they're thinking. And she said, in the middle of answering a question that I'd asked, she stopped and she looked at me and she said, you know, Jay, it's just so dark sometimes. Mm. She said, we just deal in issues that dark, darkness just dominates them and it's going to be oppressive. And she said, can we just, talk tonight and we spent two and a half hours talking about our families and about everything we love about life. And just, I mean, it was one of the best times I've ever had talking to anybody and she's just a remarkable woman. But, and, and I, I mean, I told her when she said that, I was like, of course I feel that. I remember one time I was speaking and I, it was one of those times I'd just been busy. I'd been on the road, on the road, on the road. And Q and A was, was active. And I love Q and A. I love Q and A. And it's just lined up people. But and when you're talking about the value of human life, particularly the issue of abortion, when people line up, well, basically, essentially, what they're asking you is if we, in this situation, can we kill people? In this situation, can we kill human life? In this situation, yeah. can we kill? Is this a justification for killing? What do you think about this justification for killing? And this had been going on for like two weeks of Q&As. And I, I was getting to the end of it, and I was just getting tired. And yeah. every bad thing that's ever happened to me speaking came when I was tired. And, and they, they were lined <laughs> up. And, and a kid came up and asked a question, and I just dropped my head. And he said, I am sorry. It is not you. He said, you just asked a question. He said, but you need to understand. I've just gone through like 14 straight days of people lining up asking me, is it okay to kill human beings under this condition or under this condition or under this condition? And after a while, I just want to ask, why do we want to kill human beings so badly? So badly. I mean, and, and why are we lining up to try to get justification for it? And why do we, 
And I said, I, it's my job. I get it. It's what God's called me to do. And I, I, we get to do this. We get to do this. But you're right. I mean, when you deal with these sorts of things, every once in a while, you just need someone to hang out. That's why ETS, I think, is when it, the few times I've gone to ETS is so much fun is because yeah. you, you get to be around so many people that know exactly how you feel. And it's a time to be restored by your community. I once told somebody that I think two ETSs that I did with Brett, I was like, when Brett Kunkel and I get together, it can be like a tornado of bad ideas, right? I mean, that we just make bad <laughs> decisions. We do every, every decision we make is the wrong decision. We should not be doing this. We shouldn't be going to that place. We shouldn't be staying out that late. None of these things should be happening. But for whatever yeah. reason, he just brings it out in me. I mean, I have no ability to say no. And he, he just likes to, to push the edges there. But it's great, right? Because there you find yeah. out you're not alone. Everybody just needs a chance to, to be weak, as you've been talking about. Yeah. And acknowledge this is rough, man. It's, it's great, but it's rough too. Yeah. We live in a fallen world. Yeah. You know, um, and that's like, it goes back to kind of that point that uh, there's brokenness all around us. And we don't need to hide from that. Like we, we should be acknowledging that because there's bad news, but it's only because there's bad news that the good news matters. Yep. You know, it's not good news without the bad news. So, so there's, there's brokenness and sometimes that's brokenness is in here too. You know, it's not just out there, it's in here. Yep. And, and sometimes we wrestle and struggle. And, and as we do this and this, like we, we, that's why community is so important. And that's why, yeah, I mean, there's so much like, there's just so much to remember. And then it's like, if I, if I could, man, if I wish, do you ever, I mean, I'm sure you like this cause you're kind of an emotional guy like me, like, you know, you're expressive at least, you know? Yeah. And like, I wish that like, I wish that, that we lived in like, kind of like a matrix world where like there was this like cable or something. You could just connect it in the back of my head and like, you could just do a direct download to everybody, not for the knowledge. Cause I'm nothing special in that regard. I'm not that smart or anything. It's just, but, but just to see what I see, you know, so so I lived a lot of my adult life as an atheist. I was an atheist until until 16 years ago, and then I got saved because I met a girl, right? And uh, and I'll do anything for a girl, even go to church, right? So I went to church with her. I got saved, and and God transformed me, and I've and I've experienced that. I've experienced yeah. it. It's not just it's not just this intellectual stuff. I know. I, I mean, I got saved kind of through apologetics. You know, reading uh, William Lane Craig, reading all of these guys, yeah. Gary Habermas, Mike Lacona, all of these guys. Like, so they played a major, my intellect is there, uh, it, but, but it, I experienced Christ. And then these things became a reality to me. Like, 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 like I'm made in the image of God. <laughs> like yeah. I made God knit me together in, in my mother's womb. This is what the Bible says of, of us. Like, like God knit you together in your mother's womb. He calls us by name and he, he, he's numbered the days of our life. He knows whether we sit or rise, whether we, whether we lie down, the, the, the psalmist says that, that God goes with us wherever we go, whether up to the heights or down to the depths, you know, and, and, and God loves us and he, and he loves us so much that he gave his only son for us. And then, and then think about this, and this goes back to kind of like bringing it kind of back to what we're talking about. You and me, he uses us in his master plan, but he doesn't just use me and you and me as these like professional Christian guys. He uses all of us in his master plan. Every single one of us, the, the average pew sitter, the, the person who's just, just trying to make it through life and trying to worship God the best that they know how and, and wrestling and limping through. God uses you in his master plan. This is amazing. And, and then you combined it with kind of like, 
I think what you talked about the last time we, we you know, uh, the, 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 with the last guest, you know, when we look to the world and stuff for answers, you know, we got to remember that, that, that the naturalism doesn't offer us the hope that's found in the gospel. Naturalism, unnaturalism, we're, we're like, we're moist robots, man. Yep. yep. Meat suits in motion, you know, and at least yeah. the, a, a bunch of the atheists are at least honest when they say this, right? Dawkins yep. was honest. There's nothing but pitiless indifference yep. is what he says. There's no good, no bad, no nothing. Yeah. Right. Pitiless indifference. But but there is hope and it's in the gospel. You know, when we when we put off the lies of the world and we believe Jesus instead. Right. So Jesus says that Satan's the father of lies. I said this before, but but then he says that that Satan comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. You know, these are the things that we need to remember. And then as we remember these things and we build each other up, and I'm not saying that we don't wrestle. I'm not saying that there aren't people, there are people who are going to listen to this episode, Jay, that are going through things I can't even imagine. I don't want to imagine. And I'm so sorry that you're going through it. I'm so sorry. My heart breaks because I haven't ever met you, but I love you because you're made in the image of God. And when we build on that, when we build on image of God's stuff, then we can press on through the hard things. We can lean into the community, remembering we're not alone. And then we can say, you know what? God's going to use me even in my weakness, especially in my weakness, yeah. especially in my weakness. And then we can push we through right? these hard issues and we can, we can see literally we'll see lives saved uh, through, through the issue of suicide. You know, um, yeah, I have to say nine, eight, eight. So if somebody's listening to this, it's really important that they know that the, 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 the nine, eight, eight is the suicide uh, helpline. Nine, they eight, they used eight. to be an 800 number just recently in the last couple months. They've created just 988. You okay. dial that on your phone, you get some help. It's okay help. It's a, it's a Band-Aid, but it's help. So, so for your listeners, if you're in despair, dial that number. There's something to just get to the next thing. I mean, the whole thing of human things, sort of the name of it, came, went from C.S. Lewis saying, um, you know, hope to be found doing human things by God, right? But another yeah. thing was was that there's a the book the Dune books there's a in the second book there's a character that has has been fundamentally changed from what he was originally been resurrected yeah. in a sense and he's he is wrestling with what he is and trying to figure out if he is if he is in fact human and as he's talking to uh, Paul Paul tells him you know he says the guy says I don't know, I don't know what to do next and he tells him well just do the next human thing. Uh, and, yeah. and that was one of the reasons I love the name of it was like, just, you know, if you're wondering if you're a human, just find some way to do the next human thing. And I would say in my life, uh, as we talk about this idea, like you just said, it's not, it's, it's a bandaid. Uh, sometimes what you need to do is get to the next thing, right? That's right. You don't, you don't need, and we talk about this abortion as well, but with, with all people that are struggling, you don't need to have all the answers right now. What you need is a day, one more day. And then tomorrow we'll, we'll, we'll get to work on it and give you another day and another, right? We, we just got to get to the next thing. And, and yeah. I genuinely believed this when I, one of the things that fundamentally transformed when I went from being an atheist to a Christian, and it's one of the things that has carried me through my entire life as a Christian, outside of just the fact, my, my faith in Christianity was largely born by the fact that I just like Jesus better than I like everybody else. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I mean, I just do. It's, it makes it really easy not to get caught up in the culture because they, they whatever pressure they put on us, look, I lived a cultural life. I just like Jesus more than you. He's cooler That's than so you. Good. He's better than you. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I, 
And so you have nothing. You have nothing I want. I have no interest in anything you're offering because he's just better in every way than whatever you're bringing to my table at any moment. But when, when I became convinced that God was real, which was a hard thing for me, but when I did become convinced he was real, I can remember those early conversations with him, which I guess were prayer. But I was just, okay, I guess you're there now. I mean, I know you're there. So I got to figure <laughs> out what this means. And I don't know how to act like one of your believers because I don't really fully understand everything y'all say you believe. And that's the kind of the birth of me in apologetics at that moment. But I became convinced that all we needed was one good day, right? Yeah. Was that no matter how bad it is, no matter what I'm going through, no matter how difficult the circumstances I'm facing are, we are one good day away from everything turning around. I, yeah. I am living for one good day. I have had bad stretches, but during those bad stretches, I just knew there is one good day. That's all he needs. He can do it at any time. It could be coming that one good day. And if I die in hope of that one good day coming, at least that was better than just packing it up and giving in. Well, but uh, that, that'll be the best day. Yeah. That, Cause, cause you'll yeah. be in glory. Yes. You know what absolutely. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like that. I love that. Like just one good, you keep your eyes focused on, on that one good day. One good day. And you it's know, a lot of times I think we, we feel like Jesus uh, came to make us, Jesus came to make us more human, not less human. Yes. He didn't come to make us divine. That's for sure. Yeah. But he came to make us more human. And then I feel like sometimes as Christians, we, we try to lean, like we, we don't want to be human. You know, we, we, all that we, we like lean away from our humanity, but Jesus is the prototypical human. So we should be leaning into our humanity and and, then leaning into those things that God's really created us for. And, uh, and that's when we find anyways. Yeah. This is like, that's really good point. Right. I mean, I mean, even building on what you just said, we don't even understand what humanity is without him telling us what we're, we live our lives. If we believed what the world told us about ourselves in a manner that is ultimately destructive to not just our relationships with other people, but with our relationship with ourselves and how we understand our place in this world. And it's, it's just all, I'll end on this and I'll give you a last word. This is, it's a, it's the one good thing I think I've ever done in ministry that I feel like with 100% good, although there was elements of it that were, were bad. I was, I was doing one of the first things I did once I started speaking was I was doing a D now, a disciple now. And, and I was doing, it was middle, mostly middle school. And, but there was some high schoolers there too. And so I was trying to, we were talking about living with purpose when in, in, in the midst of it, I said, I got an idea for a, a concrete lesson for them. So I got a wiffle ball bat and I came in and while we're talking, I was talking about being a purpose, understanding your purpose, understanding who and what you're supposed to be. And I said, okay, give me the smallest person in this room tiny little sixth grade girl comes up. I mean, she was T90, man. She was small. And, and I put her up the front of the room. This was a miscalculation on my part. I start pitching her wiffle balls, thinking she's not going to hit them. She's crushing them into <laughs> the audience, right? I mean, like right into people's faces. So this is not working the way I planned already. I'm, JD, are you serious? Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried about lawsuits. So as people are getting nailed and screaming, I'm, I'm thinking, it's okay, you're fine. It's just a wiffle ball because this little girl is cranking them in. I thought she'd hit them over the audience. It didn't occur to me she was going to hit them right into the audience. And then in my planning, that was just not the genius part. So then I said, okay, now give me the biggest person in the room. And there was this kid that was just definitely an athlete, like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, just jacked. I mean, muscles everywhere. Everyone in the room gets terrified about what's about to happen when he steps to the front of the room. And instead of when I reached in the bag, instead of getting a wiffle ball bat out, I put a big, huge can of yams down. And I said, 
open up that can of yams with that ball, with that bat. Yeah. You got a minute. And, and he's, he said, what? And I said, hit it. You can do whatever you want with that bat, but you got to open up that can of yams with it. So that dude starts wailing on that can. And he's, and I'm mocking him and making fun of him. Like, come on, boy, hit it harder. And he's, he is just wailing on, he's screaming. When he's, ah, I just hitting that can of yams. And I mean, he barely dents it. Right. But when yeah. he gets done, I'm like a minute's up, man, you did not get that can of yams open with that. But I said, hand me the bat. And I held the bat up. Bat was trashed. Yeah. And I was like, you are like this bat. If you do what you were intended to do, when we were using it as it was intended to be used, that little girl was able to crush those balls into everybody's, I mean, just hitting them and everybody's ducking and diving because she's hitting them so hard. It took nothing for her to do the job when she had that, that bat doing what it was intended to do. So, but when you try to live your life as you're not intended, serving yeah. a purpose that you were never intended to surface, you will be like this bat, broken and beaten and destroyed wailing on something that you were never meant to attack like that. Never yeah. meant to live that way. Never meant to be used that way. You're not that kind of thing. And for that, those people in that room, it's like that one moment they realized that's, a, that's how important it is to know your purpose. It's not just so you're doing right things, but living in accordance to the purpose that God has called you to just makes you effective and right. And, 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 yeah. and protects you from the harm that comes when you believe the lies about yourself, the lie that you're alone, the lie that there is nothing that you can do, that you can't be used, all of those things that you've addressed today. I'm going to give you yeah. the, the last word here, man. Oh, man, I think that's a good way to end it. You know, I, I just, just remind people, uh, you're not alone. And there's a lot of people that want to help. There's a lot of people who can understand. I want people to remember that they're made in the image of God, of infinite value and worth. Mm-hmm. of dignity. Um, and when they press on and they lean into that nature, that, that fundamental nature that they have been made with a purpose, when they lean into that and they press on and find the strength, God will use them. And, uh, and we see it, I see it over and over and over again. There is hope and his name is Jesus. Yeah. And we lean into that and especially in times of, of difficulty. So let's get weak with one another. Let's just be real with each other and, yeah. and, and, and see God work. A guy asked me a couple of years ago when I was going through notes recently, he said, simplify your message to me as in as short a message as possible. And I said, mine, like my personal goals. He said, yes, I want to know what you are, what your central message is outside of your Christian belief, just what, what your message is. And I said, when you meet other people, treat them well, minimally don't yeah. kill them. That's it. Yeah. That's all I, that's what I want. When you meet other human beings, treat them well. And, and at minimum, <laughs> if you can't, if you can't do that, just refrain from killing them and we're going to yeah, be good. That's- that's true, man. Love, love your neighbor. Oh, man. Well, God bless you. Thanks. Thank you so much for your time. John Noyce, Stand to Reason, str.org, to get more from him and his fine organization, the best at what they do. I love those guys. And uh, mine is merelyhumanministries.org. If you like what you're seeing here, feel free to go there. Contribute to the cause. We're creating more of these. John, you are welcome to come back anytime. If you have three things on something else you want to talk about, just <laughs> let me know and we'll run it again. Thanks, Jay. Have a great day, man. You too.